0: All right, so today we start up with physio again. Yay! I know it feels like I haven't seen you guys in forever. It's been two months, but it has been feels longer than that. You miss me, I miss you too. But I don't know if you're gonna say that when it's four o'clock and we still have one more hour to do. <laughs> We're gonna do three hours of physio today. Woo! And then one more tomorrow, and then I'm done. Yeah. So it's quick, quick, quick. One thing I wanted to say that you're going to need for this section is your drug list. Okay? Oh. There are 30 drugs on this list. That you're going to have to learn for this section. So, you're going to have to know what their effects are, what receptors they act on, some of the major side effects, and some of the therapeutic conditions that you can have with these drugs. Doable? No? No? Yes? No? This should be posted. Yes. It is posted, so, and then it's also incorporated into your lectures, so it's there. So we can do this, right? Yeah? I'm still hearing some no's, so come here for me. Yeah, just come here for me. Come here for me. Jerry? All right, Jerry. Just to put it. All right, Jerry. Grab this page and keep walking. Keep going. Keep going. What is that? So come, Jerry, come move up with me. So just to keep this in perspective, this is your term five drug list. This is your term one drug list. So we can do this, right? Yes, we can. And on top of that, this is actually workable onto one page. So by the time you finish the drugs we do today, you would have completed one page of this. So, you know, it behooves you to know this drug list. So, yes, thank you, Jerry. All right. So let's get started. All right, let's get started. So we got the copyright and all of that stuff. So today we're going to do a plethora of things. First things first, we're going to talk about autonomic neurons, parasympathetic versus sympathetic. And what happens when you stimulate those nervous systems. Okay. This is your assigned reading for the portion that we're going to do right now. So first off, I just want to know what you know. So let's see. Hmm. All right, so which receptor type is found on the chroma fin cells of the adrenal medulla? Let's see what you've chosen. Okay. So we'll see who's right, who's wrong. All right, so we have our nervous system broken down into our central nervous system and our peripheral nervous system. Now, our peripheral nervous system is further broken down into sensory and motor divisions. And it's our motor division... That are made up of our somatic and our autonomic nervous system. Now, our somatic nervous system is voluntary. It's going to relay information mainly from the skin and the skeletal muscles. The autonomic nervous system now is the involuntary nervous system, and that's going to relay information to other internal organs. And it's our autonomic nervous system that's further broken down into our sympathetic. And our parasympathetic nervous systems. Now on this slide, you see peripheral nervous system is referred to as PNS. Moving forward, anytime you see PNS, it's in reference to the parasympathetic nervous system. We're not going to talk about the peripheral nervous system, more so the parasympathetic nervous system. So when you see PNS, that's what we're talking about. So Our autonomic nervous system is activated by centers that are located in the spinal cord, the medulla, the midbrain, and the hypothalamus. Now, if we remember way back when we did homeostasis, you remember we talked about controlled variables and controlled variable had a set point. And if that set point was changed in any way, it went to what? What happened after the control variable was off-put? It had the, wow, (laughs) it has been that long. (laughs) Remember, we had the sensor, and then the sensor sent that information to the comparator integrator, good, and then after that, we had changes that were effected by our effectors. Well, this is part of this autonomic nervous system process. We have our control variable, whether it be our blood pressure or blood volume, temperature, the distension of hollow organs, and of course any change that happens gets sensed, and that information gets transmitted via excitatory amino acids or neuropeptides to our CNS, which will be our integrator or our comparator, and then of course the effect to now re, um, kind of uh, reset our set point is going to be done through our effector organs, which can be our smooth muscle, cardiac muscle, exocrine glands, and of course, the ANS is our efferent system to allow for the effector organs to make these changes, and we can have contraction and relaxation of muscles, we can have increased or decreased secretion from glands, and we can affect heart rate, we can affect any of the organs that the autonomic nervous system stimulates. So our motor nervous system, again, autonomic versus somatic. So our somatic um, nervous system is one under voluntary control. And essentially it has one effector organ. It's our skeletal muscle. That's it. But the autonomic nervous system now, this is mostly that system that controls the visceral function. So it's involuntary. And it controls a whole bunch of effector organs. It can control our arterial pressure gastrointestinal secretions, motility, bladder, emptying our bladder, sweating, body temperatures. And so it has a multitude of effector organs on which the system can act to effect certain physiological changes. So with our somatic nervous system, there are anatomical differences. Now in the somatic nervous system, there's one nice long neuron that goes straight from the CNS to the effector organ, which is our skeletal muscle. Okay, That's it. And it's very highly myelinated. And so what happens is you get the release of acetylcholine at the effector organ, which is our muscle. And the acetylcholine will bind to the nicotinic receptor that is on that muscle. But the ANS now, this is a two-neuron chain. Lightly myelinated is our preganglionic neuron. And it will always, 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 the preganglionic neuron will always release acetylcholine into the synapse to bind to nicotinic receptors on the postganglionic neuron. And the postganglionic neuron is unmyelinated, and it will extend to your effector organ wherever it is and whatever it is, and then it will then release either acetylcholine, norepinephrine, or neuropeptides, depending on which sympathetic, parasympathetic, or sympathetic nervous system is activated, and again, at what effect or organ it is trying to stimulate. Okay? Now, ANS is divided into two divisions, the parasympathetic and the sympathetic, and they differ anatomically. And they differ anatomically on the effectors that they trigger and, and the transmitters that are used on these various organs. It's just like driving a car. You've got your accelerator pedal to make things go, 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 and then you've got your brake to slow, slow, slow things down. And that's exactly what your parasympathetic and your sympathetic nervous systems are like. They're a dual innervation kind of a system, yin and yang, and they result in dynamic antagonisms. So they counterbalance each other. In some cases, they'll work in parallel, but for most part, you know, most of the organs will have um, stimulation from both parasympathetic and sympathetic to allow for dual antagonism, to allow for balance to occur. So this is what your sympathetic nervous system will do. They are mainly involved in the E-exercises or activities. So exercise excitement, emergency, this is your fight-or-flight response it's catabolic so we're breaking down fuel stores to fight fight or flee and so what happens is you will see your blood pressure go up you see your heart rate go up right you'll expect to see more mental acuteness more mental awareness and if I'm trying to get away from something what am I gonna expect to see happen to my GI tract my motility and my secretions of my GI it's gonna go down because you're not trying to digest food at this point. You're you're trying to run away or fight or do whatever you need to. You'll find your ventilatory response will increase, right? And you'll find that you'll have rapid, deep breathing. You can increase the blood flow away from the skin because you need to shunt the blood to those organs that will help you in your flight or 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 fight response. So we're looking at constricting vessels to the skin, constricting vessels to the GI tract, and we're shunting blood to the heart, to the lungs, to the muscles, anything that's going to help you in the fight-or-flight response. Metabolic rates are going to go up. Blood glucose concentrations are going to go up. Anything that's going to give you those energy stores. You'll also find decreased salivary secretions in addition to your decreased GI secretions. And you're also going to find your pupils are now going to be dilated because you want to get a greater field of vision. So all of this, the sympathetic, is definitely going to modulate your heart, blood vessels, GI tract, sweat glands, and you're going to see also from the adrenal gland an increase in circulating levels of catecholamines. So again, your adrenal glands are going to release norepinephrine and epinephrine that are also going to help stimulate those organs to help you fight or flight. And so with this, the parasympathetic has a very tight control over your blood pressure, and so you're going to see a lot of blood vessel constriction, and that's going to increase your blood pressure. And so basically the overall goal is to make sure that the blood flow to the organs, um, most of the organs are reduced, and flow to the muscles, heart, lungs, are going to be increased. Conversely, your parasympathetic Uh, nervous system is the complete opposite. These are your D activities, diuresis, defecation, digestion. This is an anabolic system. This is the system that does all the housekeeping work, keeps the energy levels low, it's involved in, in, in relaxation after a meal, decreases your blood pressure, decreases your heart rate, decrease respiration, but you'll see an increase in the GI motility and the GI secretions for allowing digestion and weight removal to occur. You'll see your pupils now constricting. And so here again, it's gonna take over the heart rate, gonna dominate heart activity, slowing it down. But sympathetic nervous system can override the parasympathetic nervous system during times of stress. But let me ask you this question. If I were to give a drug that blocked parasympathetic responses. What type of responses would I expect to then see? More sympathetic responses. Good. And the converse is true. If I were to give a drug that blocked my sympathetic response, I would expect to see more parasympathetic responses. Good. So as we work through FARM, you're going to see that as well. So with the sympathetic actions in the eye, now... You have to be mindful that there are many different muscles in the eye that are going to control the constriction and the dilation of your pupil. You've got your ciliary muscle, you've got circular muscle, longitudinal muscles. But for the most part, dilation of your pupil is going to occur with the sympathetic nervous system. And what happens is you get the constriction of your meridonial fibers, which are then going to allow for the opening of your pupil. But with the parasympathetic response, the constriction of the pupil occurs because you have contraction of the circular muscle of the iris. So different muscles are being acted on to allow for dilatation versus constriction. Airways. Sympathetic is going to be responsible for opening up the airways. It's going to allow relaxation through our beta-2 receptors. But with parasympathetic, through our muscarinic receptors, you're going to get bronchoconstriction. In the heart, you'll get increased heart rate, increased contractility through your beta ones. And again, through your muscarinic receptors with the parasympathetic, you're gonna get a decreased heart rate, decreased contractility. Now with blood vessels, blood vessels are very interesting. The blood vessels, you can get constriction through the alpha one receptors. It's gonna help increase the blood pressure. But parasympathetics don't really have a major effect. So now let me ask you this question. If I'm constricting my blood vessels by triggering my alpha-1s, which is a sympathetic nervous system, um, it's triggered by the sympathetic nervous system, what would I need to do to now relax these blood vessels? What do you think I could do? I can inhibit my alpha-1s, or what else could I do? What do you think I can do? You're on the right track. I... There's no parasympathetic response for constriction of, your, of, of relaxation of your blood vessels. But if I trigger, if I stimulate my sympathetics to um, stimulate my alpha ones to constrict, what would I need to do? I heard blocking of my alpha ones, yes. Ah, remove my, oh, you almost had me there. (laughs) Close, but no, you got me excited there for a minute. But you're on the right track. Remove what? My sympathetic stimulation, right? And you can do that by blocking alpha ones, right? But you want to remove the sympathetic stimulation to allow for that relaxation to occur, okay? And then you have GI tract. Sympathetics are going to relax it, because at that point you're not trying to digest, you're not trying to do anything with your GI tract, but with parasympathetics, you want to increase motility, increase secretions, and and get the digestive processes going. The adrenal medulla is activated by the sympathetics, but there's no activation by the parasympathetics. Bladder. Bladder is an interesting one, and we're going to talk more about that later, but you've got the relaxation of the walls, which is involving the filling of the bladder, is controlled by sympathetic. And micturition, which is the process of expelling the urine, that is controlled by your parasympathetic nervous system. And genitalia, you've got ejaculation, sympathetic, and erection, parasympathetic. And if you fail to remember that, there's a little bit of a mnemonic called point and shoot. PNS for erection and sympathetic, ejaculation, right? You won't forget that. But this is physiology. There is always an exception to the rule. Never fails. And so here again, we've got most of our organs having dual innervations, most of them, except for these. So you'll find your vascular smooth muscles, sweat glands, our pylorector muscles. We know what our pylorector muscles are. Yeah, a little goosebumps thing here. Yeah. Liver, adipose tissue in our kidney, all of those are just stimulated by the sympathetic nervous system. And then we've got our gastric and pancreatic secretions and our lacrimal glands that are stimulated by the PNS only. Okay. So now let's look at the physiology of the ANS. So now we're gonna look at our receptors and the neurotransmitters that are involved in the various um, nervous systems. Okay. We're going to be looking at cholinergic and we're going to be looking at adrenergic aspects of it. But the first thing you need to do, and again, and I stress and I stress and I stress in physio, is terminology. Very important. So when we look at this picture here, you'll see that this neuron is our preganglionic neuron. Yeah? Good. This neuron here is our postganglionic neuron. Now our pre ganglionic neuron is presynaptic to our postganglionic neuron. And our postganglionic neuron is presynaptic to our effector organ. Okay. So you have two synapses and you can have two presynaptic neurons, depending on where you are in the chain. This is presynaptic neuron to the postganglionic neuron, and this is the presynaptic neuron to the effector organ. And so your effector organ is postsynaptic, and your postganglionic neuron is postsynaptic. So you have to be mindful of where you are in the chain and what the question is asking. So if they say, um, what is going on at the presynaptic neuron um, at the skeletal muscle. Well, you know that, post, the pre, that the postsynapse, the effector organ, is your skeletal muscle, and then the presynaptic neuron is your postganglionic neuron. Yeah, you see how the terminology is working there? Yes? No? All right. Okay. So with that being said, now we can look at how our chains line up. So our first system is the somatic nervous system. One single motor neuron from the CNS straight to the skeletal muscle. It's got a nicotinic receptor. Now if you look up on the screen, the skeletal muscle has a nicotine receptor, and you'll see that... The postganglionic neurons all have nicotinic receptors. Are they the same nicotinic receptor? They're not. Very similar, though, share a lot of the same characteristics, but they're not the same receptor. The skeletal muscle is what's called your neuromuscular junction nicotinic receptor, so it's your NM, as in Mary, or N1. And then your nicotinic receptor that's on the postganglionic neuron is your N2, or your NN, as in Nancy. So they're very similar, but they're not identical, which makes it very important to know, because this is going to be important when you're dealing with, with pharmacy and drugs, because there may be some drugs that might affect one receptor over another. Okay? So we've got one straight long chain for somatic. We have the nicotinic receptor at the skeletal muscle and... The neurotransmitter that is released is acetylcholine. Now we move into the synaptic and parasympathetic nervous systems, and these have two chains: okay, preganglionic neuron and our postganglionic neuron. And as you learned in anatomy, that the sympathetic will have a short preganglionic chain and a long postganglionic chain, but that's reversed for parasympathetics, where they have a long preganglionic chain and a very short postganglionic chain. And so, what happens is, let's look at parasympathetic first. You've got your long preganglionic neuron, and it's going to release acetylcholine, and it's going to bind your nicotinic receptor on the postganglionic neuron. Same thing in the sympathetics. You've got your short preganglionic chain, and it's also releasing acetylcholine at the postganglionic neurons. And the acetylcholine is binding nicotinic receptors. Acetylcholine is always, 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 always released by the preganglionic neuron to bind nicotinic receptors at the postganglionic neuron. Doesn't matter what system, nervous system you're in, whether it's parasympathetic or sympathetic nervous system, doesn't matter. Cetocholine is the neurotransmitter that is released to bind your nicotinic receptor. Doesn't matter parasympathetic or sympathetic. Now, as we move through our parasympathetic, acetylcholine is again released by our postganglionic neuron. But instead of binding a nicotinic receptor, it binds a muscarinic receptor. And in the parasympathetic nervous system, on every single effector organ that the parasympathetic neuro- nervous system chain um, stimulates, they will always stimulate a muscarinic receptor. On every effector organ that is stimulated by the parasympathetic nervous system, the the receptor on the effector organ is going to be muscarinic. Now let's look at the sympathetic chain. So the sympathetic chain, the postganglionic neuron, is going to release catecholamines norepinephrine. And the norepinephrine is going to bind... Um, the alpha or beta receptor. Alpha 1, alpha 2, beta 1, beta 2. Okay. So it will release norepinephrine and bind the alpha-beta receptors in the sympathetic nervous system. But of course, again, being physiology, there's an exception to the rule. You've also got, in the parasympathetic chain, cholinergic. So you have what's called a sympathetic cholinergic chain. And as you see, the postganglionic neuron from the sympathetic chain is going to release acetylcholine and bind a muscarinic receptor on the sweat glands. So your sweat glands is the only exception to the sympathetic nervous system chain that does not require norepinephrine and does not bind an alpha or beta receptor. Your sweat glands are sympathetic cholinergic in that the neurotransmitter released is acetylcholine and the receptor on the sweat gland effector are muscarinic receptors. So the sweat glands are stimulated by the sympathetic nervous system, but they release acetylcholine and they bind muscarinic receptors as opposed to all other effector organs that release norepinephrine and binds to an alpha or beta receptor. Additionally, you have another exception to this rule. You've got the adrenal medulla, and the adrenal medulla is otherwise known as a modified postganglionic neuron. Why? Well, if you look at the picture, you'll see that there's a preganglionic nerve that is going to synapse with your adrenal medulla, and as you see there, the preganglionic neuron is going to release what neurotransmitter? Acetylcholine, and it's going to bind what receptor? Nicotinic. Now what you notice is the nicotinic receptor is on the adrenal medulla, so your acetylcholine gets released, binds to the nicotinic receptor, which is located on the adrenal medulla, and the adrenal medulla releases epinephrine and norepinephrine. So it's behaving just like the postganglionic neuron would. You got the acetylcholine binding to the nicotinic receptor on it, and then it's releasing acetylcholine or norepinephrine, just like the adrenal medulla does. So the adrenal medulla is considered to be a post-modified, post-a modified post um, a modified post neuron, because it gets stimulated by a preganglionic neuron to release catecholamines, which will then go through the blood and then stimulate the effector organs. Now, the adrenal medulla is a little different than our sympathetic um, chain because the sympathetic chain, the, power, the sympathetic chain is going to release norepinephrine right there at the effector organ. But your adrenal medulla is going to release 80% epinephrine and 20% norepinephrine, but the catecholamines have to travel through the blood before it will then stimulate the effector organ. So if you want a stronger response, it's better to have that response come straight from the sympathetic chain, which is right by the effector organ, and the norepinephrine gets released right there at the organ. And then if you want a less strong response, then with the catecholamines released through the blood, traveling to the effector organs, that can be done through the adrenal medulla. So here again... Here are some exceptions to the rule that your norepinephrine is the sympathetic nervous system transmitter at the target cell. We've got the sympathetic fibers to the sweat glands. So our sweat glands, the neurotransmitter to our sweat glands is acetylcholine, and the receptor on our sweat glands is what? Muscarinic. Good. You've got sympathetic fibers to the renal vascular smooth muscles. Those are dopamine. So they're dopaminergic, dopa, and they have D2 receptors. And then you've got your adrenomedulla, which is the modified sympathetic postganglionic neuron. You've got your preganglionic neuron that's synapsing on your adrenal medulla. And then the receptors there are nicotinic. And then they're going to release your catecholamines to then stimulate your effector organs. Okay. So within your adrenomedulla, you've got your chromaffin cells. And these are neuroendocrine cells. And so they're going to be a combination of a ganglion and a gland because they're going to do the same thing. They're going to um, allow for the synapse and then allow for the release of catecholamines. And then, of course, those catecholamines are going to act at distant distant effector organs to generate an effect. So this is just um, for those of you who like pictures and charts and... This just pretty much summarizes um, how the somatic and your autonomic nervous system is going to line up and what receptors they're going to trigger. So again, the properties of your sympathetic and parasympathetic divisions are dependent on where the cell bodies are located. Your sympathetic is thoracocolumbar originating, and your parasympathetic is cranial-sacral. Originating and there's my various degrees of myelination and the primary transmitter, the transmitter from the preganglionic neuron to the postganglionic neuron in my parasympathetic nervous system is what? The neurotransmitter from my preganglionic neuron to my postganglionic neuron in my parasympathetic is acetylcholine. The neurotransmitter from my preganglionic neuron to my postganglionic neuron in my sympathetic chain is acetylcholine. The neurotransmitter from my postganglionic neuron in the sympathetic chain is what? What do we think? Norepinephrine? Sure about that? My question was, what is the neurotransmitter that is released by the postganglionic neuron in the sympathetic nervous system? I hear norepinephrine. I'm like, duh. You haven't asked me what my effector organ is yet. See, that would change your answer, right? So if I said the sweat glands, then my neurotransmitter would be acetylcholine. But if I said my heart, then we're dealing with norepinephrine. So don't forget that you do have one chain that is a cholinergic neurotransmitter. All right. So the receptors on my postganglionic, Neuron in my parasympathetic nervous system is what? The receptor that is located on my postganglionic neuron in my parasympathetic nervous system is? Nicotinic. The receptor that's found on all effector organs of my parasympathetic chain are? Muscarinic. And the receptor on the postganglionic neuron in my sympathetic chain is? The receptor on my postganglionic neuron in my sympathetic chain is? Nicotinic. What is the receptor on my effector organ? So you got to know your terminology because I'm hearing what, but you have to know where I'm asking you, right? So my postganglionic neuron is my is my last chain, right? So my postganglionic neuron—I like this picture better—is here. So I'm asking, what's my nicotine, What's the receptor on my postganglionic neuron? We're talking these, nicotinic. Okay. What is the receptor on my effector organ stimulated by my sympathetic? Then we're talking these. Okay. So you have to be mindful of what, your question is, what, question is, is asked, what the question is asking. And once you are able to discern which part of the chain you're in, then you'll be able to answer the questions. All right. So which of the following does not use acetylcholine as its neurotransmitter? What's another way I could have asked this question? What's another way I could have asked this question? What's another way I could have asked this question? Which uses norepinephrine? Right? Which of the following uses norepinephrine as a neurotransmitter? Which of the following does not use acetylcholine? Right? And so which of the following does not use acetylcholine? The neuromuscular junction. What's this neurotransmitter? Acetylcholine. So one is wrong. Sympathetic ganglia. When you say the sympathetic ganglia, what are you talking about? What area am I talking about? The synapse between pre and post. What's, this, what's the neurotransmitter release from pre to post? Acetylcholine. So the 23% of you? Mm-mm. And it's the same answer for the parasympathetic ganglia. Because again... Between pre and post for parasympathetic, again, that's acetylcholine that's released. Sweat glands, well, we know that's acetylcholine. That's our exception. And so when we talk about vascular smooth muscle vectors, the vascular smooth muscle, those are the blood vessels that are now rest, rest, running through our smooth muscles, those are going to be triggered by our betas and our alphas. Okay. So those are going to be triggered by our norepinephrine. All right, so again, we need to be mindful of where our receptors are. On our ganglia, for parasympathetic and sympathetic, the receptor is nicotinic. On the effector organs of our parasympathetic system, they're all muscarinic. On our sympathetic nervous system, all effectors except our sweat glands are alphas and betas, and the sweat glands, the receptor is muscarinic. Now you have to understand that the physiological event that occurs is not due to the neurotransmitter, but by the receptor that is stimulated and where the receptor is located. You can have the same receptor located in different cell types, different organs, different tissue types, and they will elicit a completely different response. And so you have to be very mindful where the receptor is, which one's being occupied, and where the receptors are located, okay? Because you can have the same receptor and they will do different, different things. All right, so now let's do this question again. All right. So we know this, right? Now. We know this now, right? I know some of you had... Um... All right, let's see what you got. Good. Because I know some of you had chosen alpha-1s. But the adrenal medulla has the nicotinic receptor. Okay. All right. So let's look at the the pharmacology. Let's let's look at our neurotransmitter acetylcholine. So we have our cholinergic and we've got our adrenergic um, aspects of our system. So we know acetylcholine is released by our somatic nervous system and it binds our nicotinic receptor at the skeletal muscle. In our ANS chain, we know that acetylcholine is the neurotransmitter that's released at the synapse or at the ganglion between our pre- and our post ganglions. Okay. And we also know that acetylcholine gets released at the effector organ for the parasympathetic chain and at the sweat glands stimulated by the sympathetic nervous system. Okay, Now hexamethonium. Hexamethonium is a very interesting drug. It's not on your list, but it will be in term five. But it's a very interesting drug because hexamethonium is going to bind nicotinic receptors. However, it's very nicotinic receptor specific. Remember, your nicotinic receptors in the skeletal muscle are very different than that at the ganglia. And it's a good thing because you've got hexamethonium. And hexamethonium will only inhibit your N2 or your NN um, nicotinic receptors. It will not trouble your... um, Muscarinic, your NM, it will not trouble your neuromuscular junction nicotinic receptor. So hexamethonium will only affect the nicotinic receptors at the ganglia, but not your N1 or your NM. So we've got two different types of receptors. You've got your nicotinic receptor that will bind your acetylcholine, and you've got your muscarinic receptor that will bind your acetylcholine. Now all nicotinic receptors are ligand-gated cations. They're selective trans uh, channels. They're ionotropic receptors. Whereas your muscarinic receptors, these are G-linked protein uh, receptors. They're transmembrane serpentine-like receptors. And of course, their activation is going to trigger second messenger systems, the upregulation of calcium and cyclic AMP, etc. So your nicotinic and muscarinic. So both are going to bind your acetylcholine. And the nicotinic receptors will bind nicotine, and the muscarinic receptor will bind muscarine, both of which are going to stimulate the receptor to mimic acetylcholine responses. Okay? Now, your nicotinic receptor, anytime time your nicotinic receptor is stimulated, it's always a stimulatory response that is elicited. And of course, we know our nicotinic receptors are found on the skeletal muscle. It's found at all Postganglionic ganglionic neurons of both your SNS and your PNS, and it's found on the adrenal medulla. But the muscarinic receptors can be either inhibitory or stimulatory, depending on where they are in which portion or which tissue, which organ they're in. Now, we know our muscarinic receptors are found on all effector organs that are stimulated by the parasympathetic nervous system, and the exception to our sympathetic nervous system, our sweat glands. So let's look at how our cholinergic um, neurons work. Well, you have to have the formation of your acetylcholine. And so you have your acetyl-CoA from your Krebs cycle, and then you've got choline. Now, choline is recycled throughout this entire process. And so on a co-transporter with sodium, Choline is taken back up into the neuron. And it binds with your acetylcholine. And of course, with your choline acetyltransferase, you get the formation of acetylcholine, which then gets stored in a vesicle. And there is an antiport process with your H-ion. And then you have the influx of calcium. And once you have the influx of calcium, then the acetylcholine that was packaged is able to be exocytosed into the synapse. And it can then bind our nicotinic receptor, if it's the skeletal muscle, or I combine the muscarinic receptor, if it's the effector organ through parasympathetic or sweat gland. Okay. Now, on the presynaptic neuron, this presynaptic neuron, which is also our postganglionic neuron, you can find a nicotinic receptor, which will act as a positive feedback, meaning it will increase the calcium influx, which will allow more acetylcholine to be released. Or you can have a muscarinic receptor. And depending on whether it's an M2 or M3, the M3s are going to be stimulatory, but the M2s are inhibitory. So they will prevent calcium influx and prevent the release of acetylcholine. So you can have a positive feedback through the nicotinic or M3, or you can have a negative feedback effect through M2s. Now you get the release of acetylcholine, they bind their receptors, wonderful, wonderful, okay? But what happens if you have too much acetylcholine or you are done with the physiological response and you don't want any more acetylcholine in the synapse? Well, you have to have a way to break down the acetylcholine, and you do. You have your acetylcholine esterase, and your acetylcholine esterase is therefore now going to break down your acetylcholine, and it's going to break it into choline and acetate. And the choline is, then get, is what gets recycled, taken back up, to then bind again with your acetyl-CoA. And your acetate just dissipates through the blood. Okay? So again, your muscarinic receptors here, you can see M1 and M3s are stimulatory, and while your M2s and M4s are inhibitory. So depending on where you are, what effector organ you're trying to stimulate, um, your acetylcholine is available for that. So... If you have a nicotinic response, your acetylcholine binds to your nicotinic response, you'll expect a fast excitatory postsynaptic uh, potential. It's going to happen really quickly. If you have an M2, now M2 is inhibitory, and that's a little slower, so you'll get a slower inhibitory postsynaptic potential. With your muscarinic 1, again, M1s are excitatory, but it's going to be slower. You're going to get a slow excitatory postsynaptic potential, and then any time you get proteins like your neuromodulators, peptic responses, and all of that substance P, that's going to be much slower, and so you're going to get a late slow excitatory postsynaptic potential. So depending on what receptor you're triggering, that's going to determine the response at the effector organ. Now let's look at our nicotinic receptor. Of course, you've got some in your neuromuscular junction, you've got some in your uh, the ganglion. Okay. and they consist of five subunits. But your alpha subunit is the most important subunit, and you need two acetylcholine molecules to bind each of those alpha subunits in order for this channel to open. And there's binding kinetics. It happens very, very quickly, like within 10 seconds, right? You get the binding, you open up the channel, and then the acetylcholine is then going to be broken down by your acetylcholine aspir- esterase in, in less than in 10 milliseconds because you don't want to keep too much acetylcholine in the synapse because if you do that and it keeps binding to the receptors, your receptors will eventually become desensitized, which we'll talk about a little later. Um, some drugs are actually used in surgery to do that, and we'll talk more about that. But with high levels of acetylcholine, it is going to enter a very high affinity state, and it's going to make it um, very... Uh, hard for the receptor to release the acetylcholine and so you want to be able to have the acetylcholine levels reduced so you have your acetylcholine esterase um, available to do that so that you don't desensitize the receptors and keep them open for too long and so here again you've got your acetylcholine binding to your alpha subunits and then you've got the opening of your channels And then there's sodium, influx, potassium, efflux, and depolarization, and your EPSP can occur. But your muscarinics now are G proteins. And of course, these are heterotrimeric GTP binding proteins that are serpentine. So they span the membrane like a snake. And they, they too have subunits. And again, their alpha subunit is very important. Now they can be stimulatory or inhibitory, GS or GQ or GI. And the alpha subunit is either going to be bound to the GDP, which is going to make the receptor inactive, or it's going to be bound to GTP, which is going to then activate the receptor. And then, of course, you've got enzymes, adenylase, cyclase, and your um, phospholipase C, uh, protein kinase C. And then you've got second messengers, cyclic AMP, DAG, IP3, protein kinase A, protein kinase C, which will then amplify your messages, and you'll get a physiological action. Okay. So here again, you've got various subsets of receptors. Okay. You've got your M1s, 3s, and 5s. Those are stimulatory. You're going to get an upregulation of calcium, phospholipase C, and then you're going to get your M2s and M4s, which are inhibitory, and you'll get downregulation of cyclase and closing of calcium. Okay. All right, so see where I am. It's time for your break though. Uh, I guess we can pick back up. Go for your break and we can pick back up here. Yeah, 10 minutes and I'll see you in 10. I think we can stop here.